Hiya, I wanted to share with you what it's like to be someone who is not entirely white. So my background's English. Um, I've got mainly white ethnicity with a little bit of mixed. Most of my family are white. Uh, a few of us have similar skin colour. Uh, all of us are English. About three to five generations ago, there was someone that came from another country and married into a white English woman's family. And that's where the suntan entered the equation. But we're not sure where he came from. There's a rumour it might have been Brazil, uh, but there have been rumours of other countries since. So we really don't know. So in terms of cultural heritage, the only cultural heritage I have is English. Uh, my family are very, very English and I've always felt very English. I've got an unusual name and sometimes people assume that that is associated with something cultural. It's really not. It's just that my mum likes unusual names and made up a spelling for me. But I think people will look at my skin colour and assume that my name is related to that. Uh, but actually, my my whole background and everything is, is very English. The reason I'm emphasising that so much is because my experience of living in England and of being part of my country is that people haven't always treated me that way. And I've become increasingly aware that people don't always see me that way. And I could talk about the actual racism that I've experienced, but what I want to talk about is more of the subtle stuff that happens from really well-meaning people, often friends, and sometimes in church as well as outside of it. So I remember growing up and people asking me, is your mum your real mum because she's white with blue eyes? Or going to get my first bit of makeup with school friends and realising, hey, they don't cater for people with my skin colour, they only cater for white people. And lots of little moments like that that make you realise if you're not white but you're English, you don't quite fit in in the same way and the world isn't quite as set up for you. But as an adult, joining church, uh, there are different experiences of that. Sometimes it would be a preacher using a phrase like white British culture and I'd think, oh, why is it just white British culture? That's my culture too and your language is making me feel outside of that, like I'm excluded. And that sounds like a small thing. Maybe you think that sounds sensitive. And the thing is, a lot of these things are small things when they happen on their own. But when you add them all up together, they start to paint a big thing and a big picture over a period of time where you start to feel like you're never quite in the club. I remember being amongst my friends when they'd have conversations like, oh, I'd never date a person with different skin colour or I'd never date someone that looked foreign genuinely really nice people having these conversations and me sitting there thinking why wouldn't you date someone like me what's wrong with me I'm just like you uh, and also hearing people say things like oh hey maybe one day God will call you back to Brazil and I'd think how can God call me back to somewhere I've never been to before and why are you implying it like it's my home when here is my home and all those moments where you think you're making me feel like this isn't really where I belong but I belong here just as much as the other English people around me. Of all the things I experience, the one I find hardest is the question of where are you from originally? So I get this all the time. I think I must be asked it about once a month for most of my life. And it always goes the same way. Someone will say, where are you from originally? I'll say England. They'll say, no, 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 originally, where are you from? And I'll say Bournemouth, England. And they'll go, no, no, where are your parents from? Liverpool and Blackpool. No, 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 like originally, like where are your grandparents from? And we'll literally go through my family tree as they ask more and more questions until they get the answer they're looking for, which is not <clears throat> where are you from? Because I gave that to them at the beginning. What they're looking for is why are you brown? 
And when I say about this relative who maybe is from Brazil, they always go, oh, so you're Brazilian. And I'm like, no, I'm English, like I told you at the start of the conversation. And I find that hard because a lot of my white English friends also have a foreign relative from somewhere else, whether that's a European country, whether it's a country with dark skin or light skin, it could be America, wherever. But nobody says to them, oh, so you're actually American or you're actually Austrian. But somehow for me, I get labelled with this random country. And I've actually had this conversation back with some people. I remember having a conversation at West Point with a, a dear friend from church who'd gone through this exact process with me uh, of where are you from originally and gone through my lineage. And when he'd finished, I then said, where are you from originally? And asked him the same questions. And I think we only got to his grandparents before we realised one of his grandparents was from somewhere, somewhere else. And then I teasingly said, oh, so you're, I can't remember what country it was, Italian or Austrian. And he looked really confused and said, no, I'm English. And then realised what had just happened and said, oh, I get it. Yeah, I've never thought about it that way, actually. That somehow, because he's white, he knows he's English. But because I'm not white, he's questioning whether I'm English, even though I'm more English than he is. And this is something that happens a lot. So I asked a couple of white friends uh, who are not entirely English, in church to find out what their experience was. I asked Rosa, many of you will know Rosa, lovely Rosa. She is white and English, but she's also partly Spanish. Her mum is from Spain. And I asked her, how often do you get asked what country you're from? And she said, hardly ever. I also asked Sean on our leadership team, who's white, but South African, so actually from another country. And he said he never gets asked. He used to when he was younger and had a strong accent, but nowadays he doesn't get asked it. Both of those people are technically less English than I am, but I get asked it all the time and I have to constantly defend my Englishness because of the colour of my skin. Tom and I are just about to have our first child and we find ourselves talking about what will our child look like? Will they look more like him or more like me? And Tom is white. I find myself sometimes hoping that they look more like him because I don't want our child to experience all these subtle moments where they're made to feel like they don't really belong. I also don't want them to experience the more overt actual racism. But I know that it's wrong to hope that. What I should really be hoping for is that things change, that the world changes and the context changes so that they can look however God has made them to look and they can be accepted and made to feel included as part of the family. Talking about race and injustice um, this Sunday coming. And so I wanted to know from yourself initially, what are some of your experiences? Why is this quite a deep um, and sensitive co conversation for you to have? Mm -hmm. It'd be just helpful, I think, for some people to know like what you've experienced actually. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks for doing this first of all. I think it is yeah, it's needed to be heard now more than ever. So a little bit about my background. My dad grew up in the South, in mm. Alabama, in America. So he grew up through segregation, um, going to white and black school, drinking out of white and black water fountains. So I have a lot of stories kind of firsthand from him. Personally, there's a couple stories. Um, I was babysitting one evening and my dad, it would have been about 1 a.m. and my dad came to pick me up so I wasn't walking. It was just on my road, but so I wasn't walking down the road on my own. And he popped up his hood on his jumper because he had just washed his hair and it was cold. 
we're in Canada, and uh, and um, he went. He came to ring on the doorbell of the house I was babysitting at, and on the way out, the cops show up, and one of the next door neighbors of where I was called the cops to my dad because there was a suspicious black man um, at a door that wasn't his own. So, oh, I just yeah, I remember that, and that just hit home. That just hit hard, really hard. I don't know. I have to think a lot about. What I'm doing, um, for instance, going to a shop, for going to a shop, I have to think, can I actually wear this backpack? Am I going to be followed around the store? Because I've had instances of being followed around stores. Um, or people saying to me, oh, you know, you're pretty for a black girl, or you're very educated for a black girl. And why can't I just be educated? Why does it have to be for the black person? And I don't think people mean harm. I actually think they probably think that's a compliment, mm. but it's not. It's not. It, it, would, it would be a compliment just leaving it yeah. as it is, not adding for the black onto it. So right. yeah, those are just a couple of experiences, like a few of many that I've had. Something to... really ingrained, really, it's ingrained. In, that, in that phrase. Yeah, yeah. Um, we might not necessarily see overt racism like it was played out mm-hmm. 50, 60 years ago, but there's just something still there culturally. And I imagine that that's difficult or challenging in every environment that you kind of find yourself in. And I wonder if we could just talk about the church a little bit as well. And that could be this church, any church yeah. you've been a part of. Do you feel like the church is doing enough or what can the church do to allow people of color and different cultures to bring their full self, like to not feel as if they're having to dull it down or fit in? but actually for the church to see the gifts as new gifts and different yeah. gifts that can, that can really serve the body. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I, I, think, I think us or me as a black person, and I'm so used to being in spaces of majority white yeah. and being able to do it. Okay. It almost like comes natural to just come and jump into a space and just kind of tone down mm-hmm. my blackness or tone up. I can tone it up. I can tone it down. Um, but then also consciously knowing if I tone it up, I could also be labeled as, oh, you know, the crazy black girl or, you know. But, um, yeah, so how do I show up my fullest, fullest self? I think building relationships first and foremost, especially in a church setting, being authentic with each other and um, building trusting relationships mm-hmm. where you know my pain, I know your pain, yeah. and then I can come up and be my, my truest self without... Mm-hmm being thought of or, oh, what are people thinking of me? Or, you know, judge is the wrong word, but like, am I being looked at different? Yeah. Yeah. And I I think, I think that is the main, the main way is to build relationships first and foremost. Um, So people know the different cultures and diversity and whatever anyway, just to begin with. I think, I think it's a a big, a bigger issue um, than just relationships. Though I also think people of color and different cultures need to see themselves in senior leadership. Mm. I, I think not just we come in, we're just kind of attendees, sitting, sitting, maybe singing on the worship team, maybe you know doing a little bit here and there, but actually seeing ourselves in senior leadership, making decisions as part of the church. I think yeah, that will also cool. help people of color be able to show up their fullest self because they feel like we feel like we're being represented in a way if that that yeah definitely and also I think there's a missional Mm. aspect to that as well you know just in the way you know you want people who are young and old you know to be in positions of leadership so that other people feel represented so like the 
the next the next generations mm -hmm. you know want want to see people that they relate to and yeah. feel represent them and advocate for them in the same way there are cultures yeah. that we want to reach all cultures you know and it's everyone's responsibility mm -hmm. to do that but actually those that have experienced that culture lived in that culture speak the same language as that culture are the best mm -hmm. to make the to build those bridges Absolutely. and and you know, positions of leadership will enable a lot of that. Yeah, well absolutely. Well. And I, I think it's not like a we want to be, we want to go above or we want to take over. It's not, it's more than that. It's like mm -hmm. we just want to have an equal playing field to yeah. everyone else. And, you know, in the church, outside of the church, wherever it be, just it's equality. It's, it's, it's equality. That's the word, I guess, that mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's like yeah. it's equality. But I also think it's, there's a huge heart issue whether you're inside the church, outside the church, but Jesus, it, I mean, he wasn't like a political, mm. he, he was spiritual and it's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. So mm. I think hearts, I think minds need to be changed and that can only be done in the church mm. through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So it is definitely, it is definitely a heart change. Mm. We need to ask God to open the eyes of our heart yeah. as it says in the Bible so that we can see Jesus Jesus was a God of compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, he he was with, um, he touched people with leprosy. Mm -hmm. He healed, you know, Zacchaeus climbing in the tree, the tax collector. He was with the everyday people and had compassion for them. Yeah. So I think it's 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 definitely having compassion for, for people, understanding where they're at, where they've came from. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a real thing. It's not comfortable, but it's very real. Yeah. It's very real. That's so good. Yeah. So, speaking about compassion, how do you think we should be feeling? I suppose I'm talking about white majority. Mm. With you. How do you think we should be feeling at the moment? Um, because, to be honest, um, since the George Floyd thing and, and it being such a big global issue, I found myself walking down the street and seeing a black person and feeling quite loads of emotions, awkward, mm. sad. I'm not sure how to look um, at, at, at this person. And, and a kind of a sense of wanting to be politically correct. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's not the answer. Mm. But I wonder if you could talk into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had other people kind of say that as well. Like, what do I, how do I act around a black person now? Mm. I, am I saying the right things? Yeah. I think it's good to have a little bit of feeling or think, of, um, you know, am I saying the right thing? I think there should be because I think... People haven't been thinking before speaking before. And for anyone, I think it's huge for anyone. Think yeah. before you speak is the saying. Sure. You know, you teach your kids that. It is a time to think before you speak mm -hmm. for everyone. But yeah, for white people when they're when they're speaking to, you know, different people, I think it is a time to think before you speak. And then let's learn and let's educate ourselves and let's change. Yeah. So we can turn, you know, the feeling of guilt and oh no, what am I gonna do around this black person into, yeah, let's change mm. and let's educate ourselves so that we can build Full good relationships with, with people of color. You know, in the psalm says, "Lord, search my heart, heart yeah. you know, and and find anything in there mm. that needs to, needs to change." Basically, yeah. So you mentioned educate mm. yourself. You know, that might be a good place for people to start. I'm worried that some people might hear that and say and think, "Well, I'll just go and read the people that I've always read and go and listen to the, the people on YouTube that I always listen to are saying the stuff that I like to hear." Mm -hmm. And I think people actually need to listen to people mm -hmm. like this conversation just so enriching for me because I'm learning all the time. Just yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think it's going to be uncomfortable. These aren't 
comfortable, relaxing, you know, mm-hmm. let's laugh all the time. These aren't those type of conversations, but they're very real and they're and they're needed. Talking to people, hearing their experiences, because we've all we all experience different things. So just because you haven't experienced the same thing I have, it doesn't mean that my experience didn't exist. Um, it was very real. Mm-hmm. Um, the things I've gone through has been very real, very raw, very hurtful, mm-hmm. um, lots of pain. Um, so I'm healing. Mm-hmm. This is this is the time for for black people to heal, sure. yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's the time for black people to just kind of sit back and heal, heal from 16, it, this started in 1619, like it's time <laughs> for us to heal, it's been 401 years, it is time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, education doesn't just mean reading a book, mm. and yes, it, that is all part well. of it, that is definitely part of it, and you should be doing that, but have these uncomfortable conversations, mm-hmm. it will, you will learn so, so much more yeah. um, through people's experiences. And I, this is the work. This is the beginning of the mm-hmm. healing work, um, what we're doing right here. So thank you for taking the time and, and wanting to do this because this is just the tip, just the beginning yeah. um, of the iceberg of the work that needs to be done. Well, thanks, Dan. Yeah. Believe me, I'm the one, I'm the one that's privileged to, mm-hmm. to be here. So I um, just want to thank you as well. Thanks. Well, I hope, like me, you have found these conversations and experiences of others really helpful in digging deeper and thinking about the issues and challenges of racial injustice. Tim did an exceptional job last week of painting a biblical picture from design through to destination of how we are to see ourselves and how we are to love others with honour and dignity and knowing that we are image bearers of our creator God and the example that Jesus was to us. So please make sure you listen to that as part of the series or else you won't get the full picture. I wonder if you feel saturated by the content around this issue on social media and the news. I imagine there are some, there's a range of emotions that people are feeling. For some, you might be frustrated thinking, why are we still talking about this? This has been blown out of proportion, can we move on? For others, you might have had a sense of a light being turned on. And for the first time, you're starting to grapple with these issues where you've not really put time aside to do that before. Still for others, there might be a sense of relief. You might be saying, at last, people are starting to understand what it's like for me. And still for others, you might be feeling guilt and condemnation, and you don't even know why you feel like that, or whether you should, and how to move on from it. Today I want to give us four action words and I hope these will be helpful as we look to apply some of this stuff to us and navigate where do we go from here. The first word is lament. There are many moments in the Bible where we see lament and often it comes out of personal grief. David laments the death of his good friend Jonathan. Jesus laments the death of his amazingly good friend Lazarus. But we also see moments where there's a whole nation um, being lamented over. Jesus actually does this in um, Matthew 23. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. I was reminded of a story 
in the Bible of King Josiah. And you can find this in 2 Chronicles 34. Here we find a, a king, a young king, who walks obediently and faithfully with God all of his life. But at the age of 26, he's leading the repairing of the temple. And one of the priests called um, Hilkiah, he finds the book of the law handed down by Moses. And this is massively significant because this law wouldn't have even been read out to the nation or, or anyone for maybe even hundreds of years. This is what Josiah says. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. When Josiah hears the words of God, he and realize how far Judah has fallen, he was deeply moved. Tearing your robes is a, is a symbol of deep anguish, pain which gets to the real core of who you are. Josiah didn't allow this moment to pass him by. He didn't take the book and put it on the shelf and say, yeah, that was bad, but I don't have time right now to deal with that. He chose to meet the pain of his nation's moral failure head on in order that it reoriented his whole heart and reprioritized his diary. There's a place for sorrow. There's a place for meeting pain head on and allowing it to do the work of processing deep wounds. It's interestingly how deeply Josiah is affected by this because it's not actually his own personal guilt. It's the guilt of his ancestors and the nation as a whole. It is not enough just to stay at the point of lament, but for it to cause repentance and transformation. Josiah's lament led him to our next action word, which is listen. Josiah then said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Josiah chose to listen. He chose to listen to those that would have felt and known the effect of that failure. He chooses the prophets of God so that he has God's wisdom to be listening to. He lent into the storm. He knew that it would be uncomfortable. This wasn't going to make his life any easier. In fact, it was going to make it much harder. But he knew that if these are the words of God, he needed to obey, regardless of how uncomfortable it would feel. Because he knew that it would lead to good. I was, I was born in South Africa in 1982, and I lived there until 1998. Legalized segregation of people by skin color, something called apartheid, officially ended in 1991. And I lived in apartheid and I lived through the supposed end of apartheid. I would love to say to you that I lamented what people who were oppressed went through. I would love to stand here and say that I wanted to listen to the stories of black people who were not able to share the same bus as someone that looked like me, or go on the same beaches as someone like me, or the same swimming pool, or the same school, or afforded the same job opportunities that I would have been afforded. I chose not to listen at that point. I chose not to face up to it. 
and I deeply regret that. It was uncomfortable. It was embarrassing. And I wanted to pretend that it didn't exist. These conversations that I'm having now with people of color, my friends, have been so enriching to me. I don't always necessarily share the same solutions to the problems we often really do. But what I'm trying to do is choose to lay my agenda at the door every time and choose to love and to listen and to empathize and to be an agent for healing and be a voice for justice. Listening helps people to process grief and trauma. Trauma doesn't go away unless someone's had the opportunity to process it. And if they don't process that trauma, whenever another sin of racism is committed, either against themselves or against others, no matter how minor it may look, it re-traumatizes. Listening is not the silver bullet to end racism. I know that. But being proximate to where the hurt is, being proximate to where the evil is and the sin is, is what Jesus did for us. And he scorned its shame and he nailed it to the cross. Listening humbly, going into every conversation with the resolve to learn rather than win, will help us take our blinders off and it'll help others to process their healing. Next, Josiah moves from listening to learning. The prophet Huldah brings a prophecy against Judah because of their failure. But to Josiah, she says this, tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbly humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and his people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. It sounds like Josiah might have done enough to preserve his life. He had listened, he had lamented, and God had heard him. But it wasn't enough. Josiah calls in the priests and the elders. He assembles the whole of the Jewish, um, the, 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 the nation of Judah, and he reads out the law. He gets the priests to read the whole of the law. Josiah wanted to make sure that he learnt from the mistakes of the past and he wanted to affect the change of a whole nation. This, I think, is the point where Josiah really does get to repentance. You see, remorse and guilt is never where Jesus wants to leave us. He is always looking for a heart change, for a course correction. When we are reading our Bibles, when we are reading the Word, and expecting him to speak to us, he can and will change us. So we've looked at lament, we've looked at listening, and we've looked at learning. Our final action word is leading. Josiah led a whole nation into the statutes and the laws of God. 
He took down all of the high places which were given over to the worship of idols. And he lived out his life serving God and led a whole nation to serving God. Now, we might look at that and start just to write ourselves off. Well, I'm not a king. I'm not the prime minister. I'm not a business leader or a church leader. Who am I to affect any significant change? You can change the atmosphere of every environment that you walk into. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are representing him where you go. And you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 39 verse 8 and 9 says this. Speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I know that we are focusing on racial injustice at the moment. But these truths apply to every injustice. We are called to lift up the cause of the afflicted and the voiceless and the weak and the infirm. If you are not marginalized, then you have the privilege of bringing justice. And I know many who are marginalized who still bring justice. I am more convinced than ever that Jesus is the only one that can bring lasting change when it comes to racial injustice and any injustice and any issue on the face of this planet. Because political parties will look to modify your behavior and they will serve their own interests and agendas. Jesus fights for your heart. I am also convinced of this, that the church is the hope of glory. All these things cannot be outworked in isolation. We all know what isolation has been like for 16 weeks. What's discipleship been like for you? True discipleship happens in community where we build strong relationships. And then on top of that, we're allowed to have and able to have courageous conversations. And I believe this will continue the journey of us looking like the heavenly Jerusalem where justice reigns, where people are treated equal, where the diverse gifts in the body of Christ are appreciated and valued. And this kingdom mandate spreads out into every sphere of society and signposts the world to Jesus. I want to finish and leave you with Psalm 146, verse 6 to 9. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves righteousness. The Lord watches over the foreigner and he sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Our one-to-one prayer rooms are open right now. Maybe... You want to be saying to God, search my heart and know who I am. Test me and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.